and welcome to the Side Hustle Success Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Horns, and I'm not joined by my co-host, Kevin Taylor. More on that in a moment. This is a show for anyone who has a product or business idea and wants to go full-time on it eventually, or maybe you already have. This is a show about product design, entrepreneurs, freelancers, contractors, free agents, digital nomads, and anything in between. So, Kevin's not joining us today. Um, it's partly my fault. So, we met up a little while ago and we pre-recorded two episodes. So, that was the... Uh, well, the last episode we recorded was the one on imposter syndrome and being a fraud. Um, I knew Kevin had a holiday coming up, plus I've got a summer holiday coming up. But I figured, oh, we've actually got a week in between where we can meet up and record. So I thought, great, so we'll just meet up then. What I completely forgot about was the fact that I was taking the week before I go on holiday off of work uh, to spend time with the kids. Uh, so we can't actually meet up and record. So that's why uh, Kevin's not here today. Um, but I didn't really want to get into the habit of missing episodes. So I had a chat with Kevin. I said, I'm just going to you know, quickly record something which I can put out. Uh, so as this episode comes out, I will be either just coming back from holiday or just back. Um, I'm recording it on August the 1st. Can't believe it's August already. Where has this year gone? Um, but yeah, so that's just why it's, you've got to put up with just me on my own today. <laughs> Okay, so a little bit of follow-up and updates. So, as I just said, I'm getting ready to go on holiday. Uh, that can't come quickly enough. I'm really looking forward to it. So I'm going away with the family, so my wife and two kids, and plus uh, some of our friends and, and their two children as well. We're hiring a villa in Albufeira in Portugal. And I'm going to have a completely technology-free holiday. I mean, I'll have the iPad there, but apart from that, no laptops, no work, no working on courses, no writing books, absolutely nothing and I can't wait. Um, apart from that though, well, I have signed up to do another plural site course, so that's all signed up and ready to go. So I've made a little bit of a start on it, just with planning and getting things in place, but I'm not actually starting it for real until after I get back from holiday, so that's good. Uh, the book that I'm writing, called A Path to Freedom, is making fantastic progress. So in the last episode I said that I'd taken a bit of a U-turn on it, in that I'd completely restructured the book and broke things down, which I'll kind of discuss more in this episode. Um, but that's going really, really well. So I've now got 40,000 words done at first draft stage. So I'm just currently refining that. That's the first two major parts of the book, which is about eight chapters. So that's going great. I've also hired a professional book editor to help me. So uh, a girl that lives in Perth is going to help me sort of um, structure and kind of develop the book ready for release. So her role really is, well, it's kind of a few roles. So first of all, she's there just to review my written English, make sure it sounds good. Because I'm not going to, you know, even though I've written a lot of books, I'm not going to claim that I can actually get it right first time. So she's there to kind of cast a critical eye over the actual physical writing of the book. But she's also a developmental editor as well. So she'll be kind of harshly reviewing, well, not harshly, but critically reviewing each chapter and making sure it actually delivers on what it was I want to say. And, you know, I've told her to be, you know, Quite brutal, you know, kick my butt if you don't think the uh, chapter is delivering on, delivering on what it's supposed to be doing. So really looking forward to working with her. So I'm due to get the first part out to her kind of early September, I'm expecting. Because August is going to be a bit of a slow month because I'm taking a fair amount of time out to spend with the children. But I'm really, really excited about her involvement because um, from talking to her, I think she's going to help me basically make a really good book. So I'm really happy about that. <laughs> Okay, so today's audience question, and this kind of question and show topic are kind of merging together. Um, so 
although I'm doing a question, we're actually going straight into the topic. So the question was from someone called Robbie, and they sent us this a while ago, but I hadn't really sort of found a good time to answer it, so I figured actually this episode is a good chance to answer this question. So it says, and it's, the question was aimed at me, so it says, you seem to release a lot of content and can be very productive. Is there a secret to how you release so much material like books and courses? I feel like it will take me a year to produce just one of those things. So the way I'm going to answer this is I'm going to go basically straight into the show topic, which is talking about productivity techniques or my own personal productivity techniques. Now, I'm not proclaiming this is the answer to productivity. This is just what works for me. If it works for me, it might work for you or it might not. It, you know, it really kind of depends how you like to work. But, you know, I'll let you be the judge of um, how that goes. So for me, when it comes to doing books and courses, and I'm kind of lumping the two together because, you know, I've written quite a few short guides, which are kind of around the 100 page mark. I've written a book on cryptography for A Press, which is a much larger project. And I'm also doing this Path to Freedom book, which I'm estimating is going to be between 100 and 120,000 words. It's by far the largest project I've ever undertaken. It's quite intimidating when I sit down and think about it. But I'm also thinking about courses as well, because every course I do for plural sites, I write a script first. So if I'm looking at, say, about an hour and a half, hour and 40 minute course, you're probably looking at around 25,000 words for my narration speed. So that's a short book. And the way I develop both of them is exactly the same. So the process is exactly the same, it's just that with a course, there's obviously recording and editing that goes on as well. So one thing that I do uh, do, and I'm probably gonna have a lot of productivity experts writing to me saying, no, this is wrong, but I don't care, is I tend to have multiple projects on at once. So I'm the sort of person that can have a reasonably short attention span. So I can work on something really intensely for a few weeks and then I might get a bit bored. So I need to do something else. So typically I have two to three kind of projects going on at the same time. Now I know productivity experts are going to be going, no, that's not how you be productive and you're going to procrastinate and all that. So well, no, not really. So if I'm working on something, I'll say for two, three, two, well, two to three weeks, I work really intensively on that task. I don't do anything else. I'm focused purely on that task. But then after two or three weeks, I might take a break from that particular project and then I'll do some work on another project. So I am actually sort of putting a lot of focus into the one project, so I might have a few things going on at the same time. Now that's just kind of how I work. Um, you know, I've always found, you know, putting a huge amount of attention on something for a very long time, very, very difficult. Some people can do it and that's fantastic, but I can't. You know, sometimes that's caused me problems before in my working life, because, you know, I'll work on something which I think is really interesting and I'll get bored and then I have to really push myself to, to complete it. But now I'm, the master of my own destiny, I can do what I want, which is great. So what I do is I, I tend to, you know, do this and flit around three, two or three projects. And I keep doing this until I get quite close to completing one of the projects. And then I just go all in and focus on getting that project completed. But what that ends up meaning is that I might complete two or three things um, in what feels like a short space of time. So over the space of a month, I might actually complete three things and put them out kind of at the same time. So to some people, they've actually thought, blooming hell, you get a lot of stuff done, but actually you've not seen the two, three, four, or even six months leading up to that where I've just kind of been silently working on stuff. So when I do release a lot of stuff in a short space of time, it does feel like I'm kind of like incredibly hyper-productive, but actually you know, I've been working on it for a while. So, what I want to do then is sort of talk a little bit about my writing process and you know 
the way I approach writing, you know, it's no secret. It's, you know, I haven't invented anything. It's just a process that a lot of writers use and it is incredibly um, effective. It's effectively outlining. So it doesn't matter, you know, what the subject is, whether it's a book or a course, I always start out with a mind map. So a mind map is a visual tool, which just lets you, so you have like a central subject in the middle of the screen, then you have spokes coming out of it, where you might have a different subject. And then out of that subject, you might have different spokes coming out of it, with just lots of different notes. So I always start with a mind map because it helps you think, it helps you move things around in between different kind of hubs and spokes quite easily. So it's actually a very pliable tool to work with. Now it's probably similar to doing a big spider diagram on a whiteboard. I just prefer to use a tool. Um, not that it really matters. I use a tool called iThoughtsX on the Mac. I think there's a Windows version, but you know, there's there's loads of different mind mapping tools out there. If you want a free and open source one, then there's a really good one called XMind, uh, which is worth checking out. And that's kind of across Windows, Mac and Linux. So when I'm starting a book or a course, I start out by defining what I think the chapters are gonna be. So chapter headings. So if you're thinking as a Word document, this might be your, your H1 headings. Now by spending a bit of time working through that, you actually build up a very high level narrative of what it is you're trying to talk about. So you know, regardless of whether you're doing fiction or non-fiction, you kind of have a narrative. You, know, you have a journey and you want to end up somewhere at a, some kind of conclusion. So, you know, your early chapters might be kind of introductory um, chapters about the subject. You might be talking about pros and cons of, you know, different ideas. And then, you know, the middle of your book might be more, you know, the theory of stuff that you're building up and different techniques. Then as you get towards the end of the book, you might start wrapping up and then talking about, you know, chosen solutions or preferred solutions and then kind of a conclusion. So always start by defining that which means you know i'll have a mind map and i might have you know five six or seven kind of spokes coming out of it then what i do is i break into each chapter and then i start uh, defining what effectively you could, you could think of as heading level two so that's um where i'm starting to think about you know for this chapter where i'm introducing a subject say agile software development and i might think about well what subjects can i talk about in this introduction well we might say you know what is agile software development we might talk about what the agile manifesto is we might talk about the problems of traditional waterfall developments and so on. So you're actually sort of breaking that initial chapter down into multiple sections. And I do that for all of the chapters in the book. And typically what I do at that point is I might take a bit of a break for a few days and just not think about the subjects. And that just kind of lets your brain kind of, you know, process it and file stuff away and all the sorts of clever stuff that brain does. And I go back to it and then for each of those second heading levels, I'll start breaking it down even further. So traditionally, well, typically for me, a book won't go more than three heading levels deep in a table of contents. That's kind of what I do um, in this mind map. So I then start thinking about, you know, individual topics I'm going to talk about for each of those subheadings in each chapter. And once I've got to that point in a mind map, I've got a pretty good idea of what I'm going to be talking about throughout the entire book may not have all the necessary details at that point, but I've got a good, you know, I've got a good idea where the book's gonna go. And then I can start looking at kind of what we've got visually on the screen. And I start thinking about, you know, have I got too much emphasis in one area? Um, you know, is, is it gonna be too rambling? Is there stuff that I think actually, whilst it seems interesting, it's not actually relevant to the main sort of flow of the book. So then, you know, I play around with the mind map, I can drag things around, so on and so forth. When I'm happy at that point, I then move over to Word. And I basically translate each of those heading levels 
from the mind map into heading levels in the uh, in the in a word document. So I'm effectively you know setting out the chapters and the various headings. Then what I do is I start to add additional detail throughout that um, document. So I start adding, you know, what is it I'm actually trying to say? Have I got an opinion on this? Have I got personal experience? Is what I'm saying just pure theory? So I start, you know, writing down what it actually is that I want to say, just in note form. You know, nobody's ever going to read this apart from me. So it's quite rough and ready. Does a particular subject make me feel one way? If it makes me feel in a particular way, can I find examples and evidence where other people have a contrary viewpoint to what I'm talking about. So I start collating you know, research notes as well, and that could be you know, links to websites, references to books, YouTube videos. It's kind of building up a wealth of um, um, research, effectively. And once I have that done, at that point, I've pretty much got the entire book planned out. So if you read through that document, you know, whilst it's not written in you know, nice long form prose, in note form, I know exactly what I'm saying. So effectively, the hardest part of writing the book is done at that point, and that's working out what you're gonna say, which is awesome. So then typically what I'll do is I'll put that away for a bit, and then I might work on another book or another course idea. And the reason I do that is, if I go straight from doing this outlining process straight into writing, which I've tried to do before, I kind of feel like there's too much stuff jumbling around in my head, and then you kind of, don't tend, well, I don't tend to do a very good job of actually writing the prose. Whereas if I put it away for a bit and just kind of forget about it, come back to it a month later, kind of refreshed, I can then, you know, I can do a review through what I've already put together, make some amendments, but I can make quite a good, you know, stab at starting a book. And at this point, the writing process for me is actually quite straightforward because I know exactly what I'm saying. It's already planned out, all my thoughts, and feelings about each different section is captured. So I'm just turning those rough notes into longer form prose. So when I do that, I typically, you know, you know, you just work paragraph by paragraph, as you do when writing a book. I typically write those paragraphs in a tool called Grammarly, uh, just because that fixes some of the massive grammar faux pas that I might make. You know, I'm only human, I make mistakes. So this kind of helps straighten a lot of those out. So I work through the book, you know, that writing process might take four to six weeks um, in sort of total elapsed time. And you know, that's how I that's how I approach writing. Once I've done all the writing and got to the end of the book, again I'll put it away for a bit and have a break from it. And then when I revisit it, I'll read through it once or twice critically. I'll make notes and you know make any amendments, and then I'll send it off to a freelance copy editor who will go through and, uh, well actually I, I don't do this for courses, I only do this for written books, but I'll send it off to a copy editor and they'll just go through and make sure, you know, kind of the English is well formed and well structured and effectively have another set of eyes and ears over it. So they do copy editing and proofreading. And then at that point I start to get it ready for publishing. So that's generally how I work. It's not a complicated process, but it's incredibly effective. So the combination of outlining and thinking at a higher level and then gradually drilling down and taking regular breaks on that project between different sections kind of helps. And that fits in with my idea of working on multiple things at once. Um, because whilst I'm letting something rest and you know filing in the back of my brain, I can just be applying my mind to something else. And for me, that's quite refreshing and it keeps me interested. So depending on how you work, you know, you may be someone who has to just work on the thing fully and get it done. And that's fine if that works for you, then go for it. Um, my way of working 
probably isn't the best when working in the company <laughs> because you know if I get bored I find it very difficult to actually carry on with something but you know this works for me okay so the next bit I was going to talk about then is kind of how I go about sort of tracking projects and task management and all that sort of stuff because you know, if I'm working on two or three projects at once you know there's a lot of detail there and also you know I'm running a business there's lots of other kind of businessy overhead things I have to do like filing receipts uh, accounts paying national insurance and just general officey type stuff I have to do as well so I've tried pretty much every single tool that exists on the market for trying to do this sort of stuff and that could be from to-do apps uh, like Wonderlist through to tools like OmniFocus. So OmniFocus is the current tool I use for sort of high-level task management. But I've kind of changed how I use it. So OmniFocus is, you know, it's effectively a quite an advanced to-do system for doing, you know, lists within lists effectively. When you boil it down to it, it's lists within lists with tags associated to it and deadlines and milestones and stuff like that. Now when I started using this, I started putting absolutely everything into it. So I'd have all my projects and milestones and various different sections of a project right the way down to very detailed daily to-dos. And that worked out pretty well. I mean, OmniFocus is a fantastic app. I think it's Mac only, but there's kind of equivalents on Windows. And it works really well. Um, but what I found is after a while, when I was using it at the daily task level, I didn't actually, I kind of got out of the habit of filling it in every day. So it got to a point where what was in OmniFocus wasn't actually reflecting reality. Uh, which isn't good it's supposed to reflect reflect what's going on in real life so what i do now is i only capture kind of higher level tasks and milestones in omnifocus so i use it for planning you know i, I need to get things out by certain dates you know, i have to set myself my own sort of personal milestones otherwise i'll just never get anything done so i use omnifocus as a way of you know planning out the quarter or you know half a year ahead so i know exactly what i'm doing but I won't go into daily to-do list details. I just kind of put high level stuff like, you know, I need to write um, chapter one, sections one, two, three, and four. That's kind of the highest level I'll go, or the lowest level I'll go down to. So what I've started doing now for daily to-dos is I've kind of gone a bit old, a bit old fashioned, but modern at the same time. And I think I spoke about this in the last episode. So. Effectively, I'm just using handwritten to-dos for each day, but instead of using an actual physical notebook, I'm using an iPad Pro with the new Apple Pencil, which is an absolutely fantastic device, along with GoodNotes 5, which is a basically a handwritten note application. And I just write down to-dos for each day. I have a little box next to it, which I can color in when I've done a task. But a good thing with this app is if there's something that I don't quite get done in the day, just because other stuff comes up, you can use the lasso tool and you can kind of cut out the notes and just like move them on to the next day. So I can constantly make sure I move stuff along and you know delete stuff that's not relevant anymore. So actually it works out as quite a good pliable technique for um, putting stuff together. So a combination of using the handwritten notes on the iPad along with the higher level goals and milestones in OmniFocus is kind of what's working quite well for me at the moment. Something I am kind of keen to look at though is because um, I'm a Mac OS user you know don't at me it's just what I use and I enjoy it in the next version of Mac OS Catalina they've actually got a completely revised or rewritten version of the reminders app so the reminders app is a, a to-do app on Mac OS 
and it's pretty good you know if you need to set a reminder to like you know pick something up from the shops or anything like that you know it's, it's pretty good but it was never very good at doing kind of lists of lists and more higher higher level project management stuff but they've implemented all of that sort of stuff into the new version that's coming out in the next version of Mac OS. So I've been watching a load of videos on YouTube where people are going through the betas because I, I never run beta software. And what I'm thinking is that actually what's going to be built into Mac OS and you know iPad OS and iOS going forward is probably sufficient for what I need. So I might actually save myself some money and just stop paying for OmniFocus and then try using reminders because it's going to do exactly what I want. I can set deadlines, I can set recurring tasks and events. I can add tags, do lists of lists to track individual projects. I might just use that and just keep it really simple. So really, you know, the key focus of how I work and how I track then, so I use OmniFocus or a to-do list app. It doesn't really matter what you use. I use that to track high-level goals and high-level tasks and milestones for a project. But instead of putting low-level daily to-do list stuff in there, I now use handwritten notes on an iPad Pro. Could use pen and paper. It really doesn't matter. Whatever works for you. Plus, kind of what's working for me at the moment. Now, you know, ask me this question in six months' time, and I'll probably be doing something completely different. Because that's just kind of what I'm like. But that's kind of working really well for me at the minute. So that's kind of the main, you know, a little bit rambling maybe but that's kind of how I wanted to answer the question from Robbie so you know how does it seem like I actually release so much stuff so quickly well actually I don't you know I work on stuff quietly over several months but then it always appears that I release things in a fairly short you know time period because I you know whittle these projects down and then get them over the line uh, one thing you have to be very careful of is if you do do multiple projects like this it can be very easy to get to a point where you never actually get anything finished um, I used to be like that. My wife used to call me half a job pawns because I'd start something and then just not finish it. I mean, I know a lot of software developers have this problem as well with, with personal projects where they just have like a graveyard of GitHub projects or GitHub uh, repositories. But I am actually very, very good at finishing stuff and seeing stuff through now. And I have been for the last sort of 10 years. But for me, having multiple things on the go is kind of how I keep myself interested but those things generally tend to finish around about the same time, which is why it looks like I release so much content. But actually I'm not, you know, I'm spending a lot of time working on stuff in the background. And then I get to a point where I do a big release of, of content. So that's it, yeah, that's my writing process. You know, the big secret is outlining or effective outlining. Not that it's really a secret. I think most effective or good writers use outlining as a way of writing books. And that's how I approach project tracking so omnifocus for high level tasks and milestones and then handwritten notes on an ipad for daily to do's so thanks to robbie for that question and i hope people find this useful i mean if if this is something that will actually work for you i'd love to know if you think i'm absolutely crazy and this is the worst thing ever again let me know i'd love to know how you work and how you approach breaking projects down for me it's all about reducing complexity and actually a little aside I haven't got Kevin here to rein me in, <laughs> so I can just go mad. Um, I was talking about how I restructured my Path to Freedom book, and this leads into a point I was actually going to talk about, which is about reducing complexity. So when I was working on it, I had about 20,000 words written, but I had, a much, I had it in just one big Word document, and it was getting a bit intimidating opening that Word document up because it was getting so much stuff in there, and it was getting to a point where I didn't actually want to open it, which is a problem when you want to write a book. 
So what I've did is I restructured the entire book into eight parts. So what it basically means is I've got eight folders on my computer, part one to part eight. And then in each of those parts, I have a Word document per chapter. And then I've got a big tracking spreadsheet that I use so I can keep track of you know, what stage each chapter is at. And the reason I've done that is it reduces the complexity. So if I know I need to work on chapter 12, I can open up the chapter 12 Word document and it's not going to be too unwieldy. It's going to be you know, anywhere between 10 and 20 pages, for example. And that actually makes it mentally much nicer to work on because even though I'm, you know, the book's going to be about 100,000 words, breaking it down this way is a good way of um, just kind of reducing the stress of working on the project. And I think that's kind of a good lesson for anything you work on is breaking down complexity because sometimes projects can be or seem really unwieldy regardless of whether it's writing or software development. But if you break it down into chapters, parts, or even components and modules if you're writing software, that kind of breaking things down into little pieces just makes it much easier and actually much more productive to get stuff done because you're focusing on smaller and smaller milestones at a time. So that was a little aside. Okay, so this is going to be a bit of a shorter podcast. Um, so I just want to go on to a recommendation that I've got. And what I want to recommend is a documentary, and it's called Score, a film music documentary. So I'm just going to pull this up in the browser just so I can show you the details. But effectively what it is, it's, it's a documentary about the people who write soundtracks for films. And it's a really, really good documentary, and I'm not recommending it you know, to try and convince you to all become film scores or film scores or film musicians. But the reason I like this documentary is because it gives a really good creative insight into the working process of someone who works in a different industry. And it's really quite motivating, I think, to actually sort of see how different people work and how they break down the problems. I mean, if you think about it, if you've got a two hour film and you've got to write effectively an orchestral symphony for that entire film, so how do you break that down? I mean, it seems really intimidating. So it was quite an interesting documentary, you know, regardless of whether you're interested in films and film scores or not, I think it's a good film to watch just because it shows you how other people work. Um, from what I can see, it doesn't seem to be freely available to watch on any streaming sites without paying, which is a bit of a problem. Um, but it is available on iTunes, Google Play and Amazon Instant Video to buy. I personally bought it on iTunes and the reason I did that is because you've got something called iTunes Extra where you get effectively like you know, Blu-ray hidden extras. And they've got loads of um, uncut versions of the interviews in the film. Because when they put the film together, they're obviously trying to create a narrative. Um, so a lot of the stuff in the interviews they might do might not necessarily get included in the main documentary. But if you go and watch some of that additional content, there's some really, really good insights. There's one which is really good, which is a 40-minute interview with James Cameron, so the director of Titanic and Avatar and Terminator. And he just talks a lot about how his filmmaking process kind of inspires the music process. And he used to be a long time collaborator with James Horner. And they kind of talk about how they used to work together. And it's just a fascinating insight. So if you're after something interesting to watch and you want a bit of a creative look at how another industry works, I highly recommend it. So it's called Score the Movie. Uh, you can get it at the website at score-movie.com. Uh, links are all in the show notes. Uh, but yeah, I highly recommend watching it. So that concludes this episode. Um, I hope you don't mind the fact that it's uh, a little bit different with Kevin not being here this week. 
Um, as I said, I didn't really want to get into the habit of skipping an episode or cancelling. I think that's a bad habit to get into. So I agreed with Kevin that I'll just record something uh, kind of separate that we could release while I'm on holiday and normal service will be resumed soon. So thank you very much. Um, if any of you are going on summer holidays or doing traveling over over the holiday season, I hope you have a great time and you manage to unwind. And you can come back to your work completely refreshed to produce awesome work over the next sort of quarter. So thank you very much and I'll see you soon. Bye.